all of this has come from our own experiences and like Charlie said it feels like a joke that I got out of hand because I don't think our experiences are unique at all like we had a crit we'd just come back off field work so our part two was really cool because we got to go away and do field work and it's kind of research and design based so Charlie was in Japan I was in South Africa we come back we work on these exciting projects they're political they're social they're kind of you know they feel like they're contributing to to something bigger than us bigger than bigger than the architect or whatever and then we finish this crit and we end up in a weather spoons and we get a nice. bit pissed we drink us we have a few beers in a cheap bar basically and we're just ranting because how on <laughs> earth are we expected to go into an office and do bloody door schedules when we've just been looking at things like inequality poverty education pedagogy like all these incredible ideas and thoughts and translating them into design and back into critique. Watermelon cantaloupe. Is that nonsense? Rhubarb, rhubarb. All right, so uh, welcome back to Street Sweeper, everyone. I am Ricardo. And I'm Will. And today we have uh, another big shot, real time journalism uh, episode. <laughs> we are now interviewing uh, Future Architects Front, which um, our British listeners may be well aware of as having organized a full takeover of Reba recently. <laughs> 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 we wish. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yet, uh, uh, they, something like this did happen. Uh, so we are now interviewing um, Charlie and Pretty. Uh, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Me first. Um, hi, my name is Pretty, and I am the co-founder of Charlie, which feels strange to say because Faf always feels like it belongs to everyone. Um, and I am currently doing my PhD in urban geography at Cambridge, amongst other things. Yeah, uh, and I'm Charlie. So yeah, uh, yeah, co co-founded feels funny to me just because it feels just kind of like almost a, a sort of joke that got out of hand uh, <laughs> and became a real thing. <laughs> it so, got way out of hand. <laughs> it feels yeah. very to it as like a proper organization, but I guess I guess we have to at this point. Um, and But yeah, so out, out, outside of FAF, I, uh, I'm a designer at a group called uh, Civic Square, but um, yeah, nicely nicely balanced with, with all of the FAF work. Great, thanks. Yeah, we'll talk a bit more about how FAF works as a group um, and what its larger kind of collective character might be and how you guys work with other movements, organizations, different people. But yeah, maybe we can start with the REBA election, the Royal Institute of British Architects for our non-British listeners, the professional uh, representative body for architects in the UK. Um, FAF, uh, you guys organized kind of a... a uh, an independent, but it, like a primary, basically, for an outsider candidate. Mm. For a worker candidate. For a worker candidate. Yeah. Yeah. So we um, have, have, have got like a bit of a history with Reba in the sense that 
we kind of originally set out with this idea of, I guess, trying to uh, improve the Institute through critique. And then that wasn't enormously successful. So then we decided to try and do the same thing through um, uh, cutting the head off the snake and replacing it with a new head. Um, (laughs) The... When the election, the president election came around, um, we thought we'd kind of get in at the ground floor and run our own hustings before the official hustings took place. And um, we set up, uh, you know, a a sort of criteria that aligned with our campaign and other groups like uh, UVW Saw, the Architecture Union, Architects Climate Action Network. um, And... uh, it had to be a worker candidate, so it couldn't be someone that it couldn't be the usual suspects of uh, partners, directors, so on, so on. Right. And um, yeah, Moira Oki won our hustings, and then he went on to be the uh, one of the three candidates in the Reba president election. And uh, through a kind of cross organizational campaign um with the groups i mentioned earlier and many many others uh yeah he managed to he managed to win it and um and now we're we're kind of having to take a step back and be a bit like oh shit now what do we do (laughs) (laughs) but uh we have we have lots of ideas and we have a lot of time to uh figure it out because he um he doesn't actually come into office until september of 2023 so Plenty of time it's to such uh, a weird system. strategize. Yeah, twenty twenty three. He's he's president elect of Reba for a whole year. Like the whole the the, the feel of it is like it's just kind of a year of tutelage under the previous president, so that he can mm. be properly uh, indoctrinated. indoctrinated. Yes, <laughs> and fully absorbed into <laughs> that, peaceful that transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. How did you, let's go back then and talk about how your organization formed. Um, there's some uh, some interesting qualities to it that maybe we can get into too, like the the idea of a future architect, like some something between a student, uh, junior professional, or the specific role of architectural assistants, all these kind of early career uh, and kind of borderline, maybe super exploited positions within architecture. What made you kind of frame it around the future architect and how did it get started? So it was, um, it was officially kind of created, uh, in the months following, uh, our graduation. So Britty and I did a master's together in Cambridge and, um, we, yeah, we, we were kind of essentially uh, observing the, current condition of architectural practice and you know the architectural business model and we're just very 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 alienated from it and um so we you know i i remember looking at reba actually have their own group called future architects Mm. um and their version of supporting students is things like uh, a webinar on how to deal with stress rather than saying like, why are we all so stressed? And so, <laughs> like, the Portuguese basically we were kind of thinking like, well, this is really not being used very well. So why don't we kind of like, you know, uh, be a little cheeky and like just appropriate their name and then do something better with it. 
Um, so that's that's kind of where the name came from. At the and and you know we were officially like a thing um, in February of 2021. So we've been going about year and a half now. But I guess in terms of like the origin of it as like an idea or a a, a kind of critique is probably back when we were students. Um, and yet, I, I pretty you tell a better version of that story than me. I don't know if it was a better version, but we were all of this has come from our own experiences and like Charlie said it feels like a joke that I got out of hand because I don't think our experiences are unique at all like we had a crit we'd just come back off field work so our part two was really cool because we got to go away and do field work and it's kind of research and design based so Charlie was in Japan I was in South Africa we come back we work on these exciting projects they're political they're social they're kind of you know they feel like they're contributing to to something bigger than us bigger than bigger than the architect or whatever and then we finish this crit and we end up in a Weatherspoons, and we get a nice. bit pissed we drink us we have a few beers in a cheap bar basically and we're just ranting because how on earth are we expected to go into an office and do bloody door schedules when we've just been looking at things like inequality poverty education pedagogy like all these incredible ideas and thoughts and translating them into design and back into critique. And, and just the idea of going and, you know, we've all done part ones and we've all worked in offices and the fact that working all that overtime for nothing, my first job, I think I was on um, 21,000, like such low pay. I never remember being able to make my rent fully. Um, and, and imagine being on that salary in London. Why on earth would I choose to go and do that to get some some letters after my name and to get a license, which means everything and nothing, apparently? Um, so then COVID happened and then, you know, Charlie had a lot of time on his hands and we're friends that communicate through memes and started making a load of memes, putting them online and, and, and it all kind of got a lot of traction. Clearly, people saw this stuff and thought, I feel this too. And then a collective community was formed and then that's FAF. It's a collective community. We're just kind of, facilitators i think mm. yeah i mean this, this how this kind of things work like if it's, it's, at some point someone comes up with some kind of like efficient aggregator of dissatisfaction and suddenly it gets way bigger than you you would expect it to very quickly yeah and like just through something something as straightforward as describing the conditions that people are experiencing like not even necessarily do it not even you know like scathing structural critique mm. or anything like that like that that kind of stuff came later on as we developed our own understanding of you know the profession and like the economy and politics and things like this but at the very very outset we were literally just describing how things were and that in of itself was kind of viewed as like very radical and um to some people offensive uh critique um right. because you know like god when did that paul finch article come out pretty that must have been like i was literally two reading that today into uh, yeah it was into, it was so quickly uh, into, into it yeah this like you know guy conservative pushback basically he pays attention yeah yeah head of the like or uh, or some kind of event director for the world architecture festival um is like writing uh these like 
garbage columns about I don't think he actually names us, but it was like no, it was but like clear. young millennials. You know, it's a fickle yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, what Charlie and I tried to get across in our kind of rebuttal was that this isn't this isn't a generational issue, as in it's not limited to us and our generation. Like, it's kind of a, a it's a lifestyle. I don't know what to call it, but it's um, an experience that has transcended generations like the people before us have experienced very similar things it's something that's just come to be accepted and a part of being an architectural worker and it shouldn't be yeah, it seems like in architecture education there's a moment when the student realizes that the mystique around the profession that exists outside uh, has a kind of a brutal uh, seedier reality in practice you hear some statistics about the number of graduates who will ever actually get become professional architects in the in mm. the full sense that means have, have a stamp, as they say, or, or full accreditation, um, or the amount of unpaid overtime or the poor working conditions, and this idea of a prestigious profession, uh, which is a mystique that the discipline seems to maintain somehow, it becomes kind of a test of faith and an ideological. Uh, test for students whether they're fully committed to architecture or yeah. not uh, and if they yeah. are then they don't mind being underpaid because they believe in the discipline that it becomes this yeah this ideal that's a, that's, a, that's a very i mean our experience as teachers obviously is that um kind of a, a, there's a strong and underlying ideological component of architectural academia which um i mean i, I would say even that it, it's i mean obviously it makes sense. The mystique is heavier within academia specifically. It's the most heavy mystical <laughs> side of, um, like, when you're experiencing architectural education is when you experience the mystique of architecture at its highest. Uh, like, probably significantly more than the perception you had of the discipline before, actually, say, when you were in high school and decided, like, I will, maybe I'll, I want to be an architect. And, I mean, I guess in most people's brains, that means kind of having a job designing buildings. Um, and then you go into architecture and you're, in, uh, you're, you're being trained to be an architect. And actually, no, you're not going to have a job designing buildings. What, what education tells you is that you're going to be this kind of deep researcher, critic, uh, this kind of a whole um, kind of the mystique of architecture in the contemporary moment is constructed with a kind of critical edge and an independent thinking. And uh, mm-hmm. um, which enters into kind of a very sharp contrast with the moment when you actually leave education and go into practice and actually, no, I'm going to have a job designing buildings if I'm lucky, but I'm also going to be fucking poor yeah. <laughs> while yeah. doing that. And like, the whole critical up. thing is totally, completely exists within that bubble and disappears immediately. Yeah. Um, but this is, I think, I think you're right, Brittany, that this is something that links generations of architectural workers but it also, also seems historically to be reaching a breaking point. Yeah. Yes. It makes it's not that this generate like it gets it's not worse. something specific about millennials or Gen Z. It's something specific to post two thousand and eight contemporary yeah. collapse of neoliberalism, uh, which all the boomers uh, are, are a bit insulated from. So yeah. Yeah. It feels like the the I guess being the first couple of generations whose, um, you know, like standard of living is starting to decline and like age expect like uh, age expectations are starting to decline, things like this. It, it, it feels a little bit like that's kind of the, 
uh, distinction that exacerbates things that have do like conditions that do in some ways transcend generations within the profession are then further exacerbated by the you know ever worsening conditions that mm. exist outside of the profession and uh, get kind of like stacked on top of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, one thing that is interesting about your, I mean, from the outside, about your kind of future architect uh, category uh, is that like, yeah, you, you, it puts your activity, your activity kind of squarely in this transitional moment of I'm leaving education and entering the profession. And the fact that you, from the get-go, like you, you launched with the open letter, right? That's kind of how you started. Uh, and it puts the emphasis squarely on the issues of uh, essentially exploitation of labor. Mm. Uh, this kind of... When, when we discuss like being politically engaged in architecture, the tendency is to think about it in disciplinary terms, as in, I'm going to do progressive politics with my architecture, right? I'm going to do architecture that's political. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. then you move into your job, you leave school, you finish your thesis, you get into practice, and there's no politics, no progressive politics in your job, in the nature of it. But at the same time, the, the, what, the, like your immediate feeling of the, um, the, the, what, what, what you realize is the immediate uh, first step into the politicization of the discipline is actually politicization of your own exploitation mm. as a worker. You're not going to save the world with your architecture. You need to organize yourself as a worker. And it seems like it was like your, your, your first interjection is squarely in uh, like affirming this shift. Yeah. Was that a conscious thing? Um, I mean, so throughout, I don't know if this is the same as much for you, Pretty, but like for me, the amount of awareness I have of the, you know, the, the larger context of the conditions we're talking about now is so much larger than it was when we started with that original open letter. Um, I think the reason why the first open letter, even when it was in the very infancy of our understanding of the problems, I think the reason why it was so effective was because we were just beginning with like very material, like concrete conditions. Um, and so then inevitably when we or people who were engaging with us were kind of like, pulling on these different threads as to like, okay, if we start from this, why? Um, that's the thing that led us to the, that, that sort of better understanding now of like, it's not like to, to say that architecture is the, the, the entire container of the problem is, you know, ridiculous because it's, it's responding to the larger context that it sits within. Um, and, uh, and so I think if, if you kind of look at, it was really interesting actually, cause we, I spoke to um, Ella Jessel recently, who was the AJ journalist, who was the first person to ever write about anything that we'd done. And so she has quite an interesting long view. I mean, long view for us is like a year and a bit. The stuff that we've been doing. And um, 
she made the a comment in in like our most recent interview that the the language that we use has become much more you know oriented towards the you know the political um, unionism things like this, and I think that is a, a, a representation of how our understanding has improved over time. Um, but the strength of the open letter, I think, was that we began with the stuff that we could yeah. speak on very confidently with our limited knowledge, which was the material conditions. And then through a kind of slow process of like education of ourselves and also all the people who follow Fav as well, to some extent, I think there was almost this kind of collective journey that the people like us and the people working with us and um, and seeing the things that we were doing, I feel like there was kind of a, a collective process of, um, yeah, uh, understanding that larger kind of political economy context. But I, I think it's always been a cautious approach in that we've never thought that we really know anything. I mean, the the first thing that happened was the survey. It was collecting responses. It was collecting experiences. It was like, are we just feeling this? Or like, w- what is the broader feeling amongst people? Let's like make sure we actually know what we're talking about. And then from that, we kind of looked at what was going on. And then the open letter was formed. And then everything is kind of built off and gotten broader and broader and it feels like the people who are a part of FAF, so like the followers, the organisations, the organisations especially have helped us grow and understand and change our language and, and our knowledge, that it, it, it feels like Charlie said, this collective journey that we've all gone on together and, you know, to have very young students that I work with at the university come up to me and talk to me about things like FAF and unions blows my mind. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the Portuguese, the experience of the Portuguese group that formed the Architectural Workers Union is also that they also essentially began with a kind of a data gathering exercise to figure out, try, try to actually quantify uh, the conditions and uh, essentially figure out if there's a kind of a critical mass of architectural workers mm. in, that saw themselves in the same conditions. To, to, to give to give the movement a kind of legs to stand on. That information seems to be very crucial and having this kind of empirical approach seems to be a very kind of function very well as kind of constructing trust. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think it's also something that is, you know, not like unique, uh, it, like not completely unique, but something that is far more possible through the kind of digital organizing yeah. that you know, FAF kind of represents um, because the the way we've had access to information, data, the way we've been able to kind of like, like a lot of the things that we know now, it was, a, a lot of it was a kind of like crowdsourced knowledge to a, a huge extent um, because we would put things, we would rep, we would show sort of material conditions and experiences through the platform. And then we would get, you know, dozens of people, um, sharing either similar experiences or, you know, their sort of like interpretations or reasons that they think that kind of um, condition might exist. And so it was a very interesting kind of like informal educational kind of process um, where, yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the knowledge did kind of develop in that yeah informal way which is also part of the reason why now I'm like, you know, desperately trying to actually like read 
properly so that you know i'm like <laughs> we actually have some understanding of the the kind of theory that i've been exposed to through just this kind of like digital organizing practice um you should so hear the words he's yeah. throwing around <laughs> <laughs> like what <laughs> Like, like we were just having a big old chat just now before the um, podcast where we were just talking about political economy and I was like, dude, <laughs> these are big words. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You know, I've got my not, like, teaching hat on. Like, don't throw these <laughs> words at me. Come on. <laughs> you're not going to find any sympathy here. These guys are the ones responsible for me starting to read Capital. So <laughs> You got him onto Marx. Yeah, you're looking at the culprits. Oh, wow. <laughs> You created a monster. This guy has been spouting out marks nonstop. I, he said something like a few weeks ago, and I was like, shit, have you been reading marks? Always developing as I have foreseen. I was like, I thought I was the nerd. Now this guy's on board. No, no, no. My brain, my, my brain got street swept. But Charlie's turned into a sponge, though, like the rate at which he's absorbed not just the theory, but kind of the networks that exist, like these union networks. And um, it's, it, yeah, it's just insane how in such a short period of time, like I am also just seriously impressed with the way Charlie's brain has expanded. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, from, from, from small acorns, you know? Um, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, have, I have the immense advantage of actually being in London, though, and like being uh-huh. where the stuff is happening. So I, 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to, I guess, like the next chapter of FAF where we're, we're both like proximate again. And yeah. uh, that, that'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, FAF is a, obviously a COVID entity. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah pretty much. It really is. He probably has Not never. Totally, had, he probably has never had much uh, physical interaction. Yeah, I think. You tell me physical... when we had the, the coffee the other day that you basically had never met Oki. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I. I the, that was the first day I met him because we. Yeah, we we um we had a like a. A election victory celebration drinks in the evening of, of that day and um yeah that was the first time i'd met him after we had launched <laughs> ran and won a campaign to um president so your, yeah. your your bid to uh, get people to put their names forward to and I like put in the effort to win the races. I'm only deigning to meet you personally after you become Reba president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got to got to got to know that the, the organizing's paid off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um in your open letter, there's some kind of I, I want to go a little bit through the contents because there's some like interesting cool numbers there. Uh, mm. that's mm. probably um, that are quite striking. Uh, you ha- you essentially among the the survey you've done, you forty four point six percent of respondents were at the time unemployed, which is quite mm. interesting in and of itself. Eighty eight point six percent have ex- an experience have experience working and paid overtime, mm-hmm. which is kind of obvious. Everybody yeah. knows yeah. that everyone yeah. works and paid overtime in architecture. Um, 74% says their salary does not allow them to live comfortably. Mm. 
uh, have seen, looking at previous kind of, I guess, job-seeking experiences, have seen uh, job adverts seeking architectural assistance with years of professional experience, as in experienced interns. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 experienced yeah. architectural assistant is a uh, a very infuriating trope. Yeah, and seventy four percent says they have felt exploited by previous employers in practice, and ninety five point eight percent said that they did not feel supported by Reba. <laughs> that was that was the yeah that was the real. Uh, devastating one in terms of uh backing up the letter with some yeah with some numbers so uh i mean obviously the letter talks most of the the the, the letters text is about this um essentially these kind of permanent start of career st- status that people are forced into i mean the, the whole idea of architectural assistant presupposes that it's a beginning of a career, but if there is no progression, that there is also no career, and therefore it's not the beginning of anything. It's just the way it is. You're just going to yeah. be an, an assistant forever, uh, yeah. which obviously is the status quo. Um, not necessarily with any difference in responsibilities, right? Mm. Yeah, no. We, I mean, you 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 regularly see like yeah. Uh, recruitment for architectural assistants where they're expected to run their own projects like manage teams um they're they're, they're like so many people we've spoken to who have eventually managed to qualify tell us basically you know my work has not changed one bit since i became an architect um i've just been able to bargain a very marginal higher rate of pay out of my uh out of my boss for it you know, it cost this many thousand pounds. <laughs> so it's mostly just a pay banding thing that they have. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Permanent low security, uh, low job security. Yeah. Like employed uh, <laughs> reserve army of labor. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, you can, you, you can see it most clearly, I think, in when uh, practices are looking for experienced part twos. And you will kind of quiz them on it and say like, oh, you know, why why have you specified it this way? And they say, oh, we have very specific needs about people needing be- to manage their own work and run projects and things like this. And it's like, why not hire an architect then? And then that's when they stop replying. <laughs> <laughs> because the only real answer is we don't want to pay for one. Yeah. The um, I mean, obviously, the there's a kind of... Thing important connection between the number of unemployed people and all of the other things like a big big worth reserve army of labor yes sorry um the um like 44% of people being unemployed i mean obviously it wasn't that large of a sample and it is possible that uh, the, the 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 there was a kind of a disproportion there in unemployed people responding to it and, and yeah and it was covid time yeah, and having a substantial uh, period of unemployment or kind of on and off employment situations in in the early career is just absolutely ordinary, um, and that obviously like increases the pressure 
on workers to accept lower conditions when to, to try like, the reserve yeah. army of labor lowers labor conditions right and it kind of cuts across all kinds of forms of exploitation and oppression in the workplace not just uh, uh titles and salaries but uh like it, it tends to substantially decrease uh all forms of inequalities in the workspace and this is something that the portuguese union uh, figured out very quickly uh, like gender inequalities, the pay gap, etc. All of them are like aggressively uh, made worse when uh, there's a kind of a general regulation of the labor market and uh, high unemployment rates. Yeah, and um, the precarity is you know like built into the pathway to qualification as well because you, you part of your education is working in practice, so you know you're you're kind of essentially. Um, kind of handing over part of your education to sort of like private business essentially um because you know how many architects are working for anything other than private business right now like basically none so you have all of the precarity that that entails in terms of you know how the economy is and if architects are hiring or letting people go um and uh, the fact that you're supposed to have one year of experience after your undergraduate and then another one year after your master's, you know, you don't get, you don't really get any substantial um, sort of employment rights until after you've worked in one place for two years. So yeah. you, you have so much precarity just built into the pathway to qualification itself that it's, um, yeah, it, it, it thrusts, you know, people at, a generally financially vulnerable time of their lives into greater vulnerability through the the structure of um, qualification. But, you know, to say one good thing about the ARB who set that process, um, they are currently in, you know, in, in the process of uh, reforming the pathway to qualification. And they seem to be quite, uh, ambitious about how bold they want the reforms to be. They're talking about doing away with the part one to three system entirely mm-hmm. and bringing in a single point of entry uh, thing for, for how to become registered as an architect. So that's something that would pretty good. drastically reduce precarity for graduates as well as making it easier for uh, architects who trained elsewhere in the world to work in the UK and qualify, for example. Yeah. So It also reduces the... Um... The, the amount of labor in the field being done by students, which is in competition with graduates, therefore pushing uh, just conditions yeah. down in general. Yeah. Yeah. So if that, if that goes through and they do make those kind of bold changes, that would be, you know, that there would be so many repercussions um, that that would have on the rest of the profession from, you know, the things that you just described all the way to, you know, how does that affect universities when suddenly reba accreditation is not really worth anything because you don't have to go through an accredited university to become an architect. You can become an architect just by going to the ARB and meeting whatever criteria they lay out for, for you. So it also raises the idea of universities having a lot more autonomy on how they teach architecture, for example. So there's there's loads of uh, there's loads of potential um, ways that this this could change the, the 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 terms of like how you become an architect and what that means, and 
yeah, it, that and and that as well. That was another thing that I think we were able to influence a lot because um, during the the ARB's process of consulting on these reforms, we were able to raise that the level of awareness of that consultation up much further than they probably otherwise would have been able to. And so there was an enormous, uh, there was a huge amount of representation of younger people in the profession who have helped to kind of like steer the direction of these reforms. So it's it's another interesting uh, space where this kind of like digital organizing can can have some hopefully very significant material consequences. It was our yeah. education survey. Remember that? So yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. that was um, the education that... survey was something that we hosted to try and just get a sense of how people were feeling about architectural education, and then because of that, the ARB asked to like meet with us, and they told us about the consultation they were going to launch on this, and then you know we had a, a huge amount of like awareness that that was going to happen, and so we were able to boost it loads, and um, yeah, now 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 we're at this point where I'm. Um, shockingly optimistic about a yeah. uh, an architectural governance body doing something good which is not a place i've i've been in very frequently <laughs> well we talk a lot and we're we're working right now on some research and writing about architectural education uh do you, were there any highlights from that uh survey that you remember you could share with us yeah wow. the did, what, what was the thing that you remember from it, Pretty? Because my the thing I remember from it is almost it's it, it's it's insightful, <laughs> but it's kind of funny at the same time. <laughs> well, no, mine's a really boring comment. Mine's just that like the overall vibe that we got from it was that people want people want a diversified options when it comes to education. Like that whole one pathway thing doesn't not only meets the needs of kind of students, but like what the issues that are at hand in the future that we're dealing with climate change um technology all those different things the ability to to focus and, and to go down different diverse pathways seem to make sense to younger people and i thought that was a really cool insight that we could bring to the arb yeah we we, we essentially asked some questions that were like you know, do do you want education to be like more aligned with practice, or do you want it to be less aligned with practice, or uh, you know, do do you not have an opinion? And we we asked quite a few of these types of questions around what kind of architectural education people wanted, and basically every answer was a perfect like third split between like yes, no, I don't know. So. We, <laughs> kind of a bit like well this is useless until we got to one of the last questions which was do you think architectural education needs to change where it was like 90 yeah. percent yes <laughs> so it seems that everyone wants it to change but there's no consensus on how which we interpreted as there needs to be less homogeneity in education in order mm -hmm. to sort of reflect the the different um perspectives that people want to bring to their kind of architectural education and practice which funnily <laughs> enough when we've spoken to our old tutors and like academics lecturers etc they kind of resonated because shortly after this we went back and did a talk and they kind of were resonating with that idea that yes this idea of diversity makes sense for us as people teaching so maybe there's something in there <laughs> Yeah, we, I mean, my, uh, or our, our perspective, I think, 
has generally been maybe slightly critical of that tendency, at least as uh, a possible kind of dodge of an underlying structural weakness of the professional market, that schools are trying to find alternative content to sell as quote-unquote architecture yeah. when it's no longer clear <laughs> that jobs designing buildings lie at the end of, of a degree. Mm-hmm. So diversification seems to me to be a fairly ambiguous... Uh, I mean, I, I understand that, and I think I there's different ways to interpret what that could mean, but I could imagine uh, a world where that means you know, MBAs in architecture or oh, yeah. uh, sure. different kinds of research degrees that lead into, that lead nowhere professionally. Yeah. They're basically like geography programs, but without the disciplinary coherence, rigor, and training that a geography, geography department would give you yeah. and the career track that an actual geography geographer would have. Yeah, there's a kind of a tendency in, in academia, at least we see it. Uh, of um, like something in between geography research to art. an art project and some, some something in the middle, which seems to be kind of uh, schools trying to find ways to convince their prospective future students and their current students that if they don't get a job as an architect, which they probably, which they may very well not get, um, it's like kind of a 50, 50, I guess at this point, um, mm. you can but, get a kind of a, try, try to f- find some kind of market for yourself as a kind of cultural entrepreneur in the culture markets. Um, yeah. And so the, the, the kind of, there's a kind of ideological fluidity of what architecture means as mostly a kind of a culturalist generalism where you sell your architectural savoir-faire <laughs> mm. as a sort of a way of becoming a kind of, yeah, like... It becomes a philosophy or like... Yeah. A, uh, yeah. And this feels yeah. fairly problematic to us in, in, yeah. in the way academia functions and essentially moves away from... I mean, sometimes it masks this tendency with real issues, um, but very often it, it kind of... it's really just moving away from the real issues in the profession that affect the built environment in general into pure kind of ideological constructs. Mm. Um, I would the ideal that the, 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 the architectural graduate will sell this ideology in, a, in an ideological market to get future students uh, yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. to bring in future students into the, into the, into the academic kind of, business as, as well it's a it is it, it feels this feels complicated to us but then the, then the question that i would ask you guys is is it is it better for institutions to have more autonomy or is it important to have an underlying structure that connects these institutions or connects architecture um, as a taught discipline or is it a mix of both that different institutions like kind of like now have their own flavors and then your your um ability to access diversity is through choosing those institutions like does there need to be a structure that connects all these to kind of regulate the profession from an educational standpoint it seems like this kind of it, it needs to be answered in the context of a larger 
social question or yeah. economic question about architecture and education. Like, is is education a commodity and are independent institutions just functioning in an academic market selling commodities? Mm. Um, and what are the jobs? What where are, are all clients for architecture private? So you go from one private market for education to a private job market. Um, and in this context, cr- critical architecture, critical practice, critical education are all questionable, yeah. frankly. There's a structural problem there uh, in realizing or uh, there's always going to be some sort of ideological or structural contradiction there. So, I mean, the way I would interpret with no, you know, uh, certainty, but uh, a a result from a survey where you get a very split, uh, you know, ideas about where things should go, but everyone knows they're not right Mm. as they are, is suggests to me that everybody's aware or there's an awareness that there's a structural problem. Yeah. And no one knows what, no one, there's no agreement on what, the solution looks like um, or or what the solution could look like in the current structural system. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like without a structural shift, all the different options seem equally desirable and equally problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would actually need a much larger transformation in the in the institutions and in the social structure and social production of architecture to actually make things right. better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess the the thing that <clears throat> I was thinking of is that even if, uh, you know, if you so even if if you kind of avoid the uh, like pseudo urban sociology versions of architecture that kind of emerge through uh, the like, yeah, just kind of peddling university degrees. There's, I guess, a lot of like socially useful variations of um architecture that could be looked into more closely so one thing that i work on right now a huge amount is um decarbonizing and retrofitting existing buildings and as far as i'm aware there's only one university that specializes in that which is the center of alternative technology in wales um and uh and they don't even really have accreditation in of themselves. They have to do it through partnerships with other universities. So I think it's, for me, it's things like that that would maybe be allowed to emerge through the more sort of uh, the, the the less homogenous and sort of like, you know, Reba, ARB, policed version of architectural education. And yeah, like definitely if you're, if if that comes within this context, you, there's a very good chance that you're also going to get a lot of like, um, yeah, kind of like scam degrees. But <laughs> but I think it's like the that there is there is a, a direction towards the you know the 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 acknowledgement of like different socially useful focuses that you can have through yeah. architecture. Um, that 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 is something that you know you want to kind of move towards. Yeah. Um, but that but like th- this is exactly why you know, we try not ever to stop at architecture and we always go beyond that because, right, if you, this is a really great example of where if you do stop at architecture, you'll just end up getting more problems of, yeah, just kind of like more predatory, um, like student loan 
system type things. Um, whereas if you go beyond that and think about, yeah, how academia is held as a, as a function of society, then it, yeah, you, you, you can kind of get the good of the more heterogeneous approach with hopefully without the, the, the risks that would be associated with it right now. Right. To move on into the kind of stuff that you have been doing, let's say, I mean, we talked about how you started. We talked about how you, like the current moment, your greatest and latest achievement. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like when we started following you guys on Twitter, uh, basically, like it, you were a really fun uh, account to follow because it, like, it seemed that the focus of your work was identifying like there's this ad for a job being promoted on the Reba website um, that is obscene to the point of illegality. Yeah. And it's from a firm where the boss of the firm happens to have a position in Reba. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of stories of this kind, one after the other, after the other, after the other. Yeah. And it was, it invariably went into like, you expose the thing and like, a couple of days later, uh, Reba responds and says, okay, we've removed that ad and uh, told them that they can repost uh, the advert this time without the obscenity. So what was that, this kind of, uh, I mean, this, this was a really fun, just permanent dribble of, 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 of case studies that functioned as a, it was really effective propaganda for like uh, constructing political awareness on the degree of exploitation in the profession. What did that work entail? Like, were you just like every day checking this? <laughs> I just want to say, this was definitely when Charlie was looking for a part two job. This was definitely around that time. Because I swear to God, I have text messages where before all of this happened, you were like, what the fuck? Like, why are they asking for yeah, years yeah, of experience? Yeah. And Charlie, mm -hmm. like, took a long time to find the part two because it was like, so many jobs where it's the same well, hamster wheel the yeah. <laughs> and it's just the same hamster wheel like copied and pasted and you know it was, it was like actually which full respect trying to look for a proper job but then amongst that search you kept finding these adverts and I would look as well and I'd be like oh my god like this is a common thing and then I think Charlie you put it on Instagram just to get a feeler out and then everyone was like bombarding us and then it just became this huge like train yeah yeah that was that was definitely like right at the beginning how how it all uh kind of like gained a lot of, a lot of that resonance yeah. uh later on when when we were doing it with like the reba job board and um on twitter and things that was actually at the point where like i i had started working like about a year ago i started working at civic square so i wasn't looking at them so much myself but this is where the kind of like like mass network of like like online people who interact with faf as a social media entity comes into play because it got to the point where i didn't need to look like not, none of us needed to actually look for these things because if they existed we would get sent it mm. so it was more it was more just about the kind of like collective awareness of like thousands of deeply alienated people that um led into our seemingly like 
omnipresent awareness of like all recruitment that was happening in architecture. So it's it's almost like um, it's almost like a kind of like political organizing version of like um, you know like open source technology. Like it's almost like uh, campaigning like Linux, where you know you just kind of put this <laughs> thing out there, and then anyone can like respond to it and like contribute something in any way and then you just incorporate that into the yeah. the, 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 the the kind of main body and put it out and then like yeah it, it's 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 easy so like yeah at this point we don't need to look for them because if they gonna, exist we're gonna get sent them <laughs> but i don't even feel like you we should... need to comment on them anymore because if you go on any of these like instagram posts you know where they have the job adverts from a practice you'll already see a load of comments from a load of faff followers like now, now people like actively know, like, oh my god, this is wrong, and that's cool to change that language within people. It is pretty sick, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's definitely been a couple of um, times, especially in the last sort of like three or so months, where someone will send us something like that. And I'll kind of go to look at it. And yeah, like exactly like you say, there's already like an absolute like slew of like uh, very critical feedback in all of the comments and everything. Like most recently, um, you know, there was a guy that was talking about using unpaid interns to build something and like everyone's shouting at him in the comments. And he's like, I'm giving them my knowledge. They should be paying me. Like just coming up with these like... (laughs) like mind-blowingly like out of touch takes but you could tell that like this was kind of the first time he'd ever got real pushback for it because he was just baffled like he just didn't understand what was going on so and like that's definitely not something that we can like just take all the credit for because there's definitely a across the board like from like the wider labor movement to like even stuff like Dan Cloy, right? Like just like online yeah. humor around <laughs> this, brilliant. like is is increasingly kind of like politically engaged. Um, so it is it is just like a a, a general um, social awareness that is increasing and becoming more and more influential uh, as time goes on um, at the moment. And that's that's just one thing that we're a part of and able to kind of channel into a kind of critical um medium it's really exciting to see that level of kind of political engagement and education and awareness yeah developing developing so quickly yeah yeah it's really mind-blowing to like look at a lot of these groups and how like young they are as organizations um like UVW saw the union started in 2019. Uh, Architect Climate Action Network, I think, also started in 2019. Um, all of these groups that have had seemingly like massive, massive, massive impacts on the direction of the profession and the kind of like professional discourse that's happening. All of this type of stuff. Um, ACANs like having a voice in um, like consultations on government like climate legislation um uvw saw is winning loads of these like employment tribunals um there's there's all of this impact and yeah none of these groups are more than five years old so it 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 really is quite um yeah it does it does help me um remain optimistic just to just to kind of take a step back and observe how much has happened in in such a short amount of time well, now that you're, you've got, uh, now that we, uh, Oki has won 
Reba, and he's Reba president in waiting. Uh, what does that do to the way you think you'll organize or deal with Reba? Um, it seems like you've got, as, a, as an outside critical organization, you can lobby and pressure uh, Reba. But once you take that step towards engaging with it uh, through the election, uh, how do you think you'll deal with Reba? And maybe say something about what, how you understand Reba generally as a, as a body that can represent the interests of architectural workers. Maybe that ambiguity yeah. between like architects and architectural workers. Yeah, well, what can Reba do and what can the president do within Reba to make Reba do things? Yeah, or what still needs to happen outside Reba? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, one of you guys summed it up pretty well uh, when you said that it means that class struggle is not happening against the Reba, but within it. Um, I think that's that's the biggest achievement from my point of view, <clears throat> is that, you know, we're not kind of like, we're not like battering on the walls and the door now. We're still battering against something. Maybe now we're battering against like the board meeting room door or something. But, you know, we're, we're, we're further in than we were before. It's going to be a Corbyn type thing, right? We're going to have like kind of a, the, the non-elected establishment for <laughs> the elected leadership. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So like, there's, I mean, there's definitely going to be limits to what Moira can do because the, the, yeah, the president does not have an, an enormous amount of like actual executive um, power. Executive power, right? Uh, so, so you know, there's the, the, there's limits, but um. I think what we want, what what we're hoping that Moira will do, um, that even if he can't make all of the structural changes he wants, I, I, we're hoping that what he can do is just bring an entirely new level of like transparency to the position in the sense that people will have a far better understanding of like, why aren't these things working? Like who are the people and who and like which positions in the Institute are the ones blocking this kind of movement and um, interventions of, of the Reba as a, as a body. So yeah, I think that's, that's kind of what we're hoping. And um, we're also hoping that, you know, now that we've kind of shown that we can influence the most sort of, supposedly significant position in the Institute, it's also a kind of sign that we can do the same for like council, VP positions, all of these other places. So even though now it does feel like there's just a few people trying to change the Institute within a general molasses of like institutional inertia, hopefully now through this precedent we can we can continue to kind of like chip away at the uh the, the people who have just held these positions out of like yeah like i said institutional inertia for for years and years and haven't done much with it and hopefully put you know more workers in these positions um and then maybe be able to leverage the institute more more effectively um but uh yeah yeah we'll um We'll see. It's it's an interesting. Like I, I still can't quite come to terms with it. Like the fact that Moira now gets a sixty thousand pounds a year stipend as the Reba president blows my mind. The fact that he gets an apartment, like he gets like 
a Reaper president apartment for two years. <laughs> How, like, it's crazy. Like, I can't believe that, like, I, I, I've really, really, really not properly come to terms with, like... Turn it into a kind of a, a crashing spot for architects who can't, who don't, don't get paid enough to pay their rising rents. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm... <laughs> Occupy, Reaper. Um, but, like, it is... It is like a, it's a step. It's it's the like the first kind of step, or it's, it's a small part of larger structural change. Like this, as optimistic as I am, it's not going to change everything overnight. But it is opening a door uh, for those who feel underrepresented, for those who don't who've felt jaded by Reba, and and it's small changes it's it's a voice it's um the class struggle within the institution but you are working against an institution that was historically formed and it's it's like one person against a big tsunami so things won't change yeah. overnight but it's a really exciting historical moment i think for people like us who haven't seen anything this exciting in a really long time um so that's what makes me feel so optimistic about it and it's also clearly one of like the very idea that this that the architectural worker candidate would win was kind of, I never believed it until you told me. <laughs> I never believed it until you told me. I still think we don't quite comprehend the gravity of what's happening. To be honest, I don't even know how we were shortlisted. Yeah, all you need is like 60 nomination. I think it's 60, but you, need, you just need a set number of nominations from existing members. So if as long as you have that and as There's long no as- There's no pre-selection for a shortlist? No, no. You you just need to be eligible, which um, I think it used to be harder. Like I think you used to need to have been on council or something for uh, several years. Um, and you know, if you go even further back in history, the the president had to be selected from the council. So like, no one outside of the council could ever have got the position. So uh, it is it ha- it is a uh, and, and the the stipend, the, the £60,000 a year stipend is also supposed to be something that makes the position more accessible um, for people to go for. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, we, we were basically lucky because uh, I, I think getting 60 nominations sort of like pre-social media in its current form would have been something that only someone who you know ran a company and had an enormous professional network yeah. could have done but yeah. now it was easy like we just put out a google form and it was done in like a couple of hours so <laughs> um, yeah so it's uh there's there's you know the I, I think the institute's sort of like uh very aged uh disconnect with youth and technology came came to uh, our advantage in in that context um, but charlie what about voter turnout because you know the figures better than me but voter turnout was never very good for elections uh, was there like a significant rise this time i can't remember but they so definitely there definitely more... like momentum you know yeah i don't i don't i don't know with a huge amount of precision the percentage amount was actually lower than the previous time wow. but but there were more members, so I don't. I in terms of like how many people voted, I yeah. think it might have been more than the, the last one, but I'm not hundred percent. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, basically turnout still really bad. But um, 
the which makes it even more striking that Moya. Yeah, very much. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Because we we were thinking our only hope was to swing the student vote. Yeah, it suggests yeah. a shift at least. Right. Yeah, but also I, I think it's also a kind of misunderstanding of who the sort of audience is or the people doing this organizing because and it's something that I do as well because um if you look at like the age range of people who follow us for example it is by a pretty significant portion people um between like 24 and 34 I think so it's not mainly students it's mainly people in their sort of like it's like graduates and people who are in their early career pre getting to that kind of like managerial position in the profession so it is the the, the main kind of body of people we speak to it is it is it, like a lot of it is students but an even bigger percentage is graduates and like architectural workers like young architectural workers um so i think that that is probably why we were maybe still able to kind of get the yeah the turnout that we saw even without the massive swing of student votes for example but right yeah definitely wasn't something that yeah you should tell the listeners the the little trick that was played in the uh during the election yeah so (laughs) so the, the the initial pan the initial plan was to uh, try and capitalize almost exclusively on the student vote, but um, uh, the rebird decided that you had to have been registered as a member before the election had been announced to vote in it, um, <laughs> which was a fascinatingly uh, undemocratic sleight of hand on their you're part. Not, you're not allowed to vote if you only join to vote. vote. Yeah. Right. So if so, let's say no, you no, no new excitement is allowed. Yeah, if you were energized by a new candidate, for not example, democratic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not democratic then, to, to get people energized by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, so so that that window was closed to us, and I yeah, I, I really thought that was the only way we were going to be able to do it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's when I was sure there was no way you were going to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the fact the fact that it still happened is. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't. I feel like I, I, I won't really know what it means until we've properly been able to like break down the actual like data of, of who voted and like from what kind of groups and positions. But um, yeah, it feels significant either way. Um, and that trick from from Reba is very reminiscent of the Corbyn. Uh, it's literally the same trick. Process. Literally what uh, yeah. Labour did in twenty seventeen with the Corbyn leadership contest. Well, exactly. with, with a little luck in a couple of years, there'll be Guardian hit pieces on Moiwa coming out. I don't know. Is that, <laughs> that might be a good sign. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's like genuinely a legitimate concern because um, we've, 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 we've heard from like a few people like, like, you know, make the most of this year leading up to the position because Moira is going to need, like, as robust a sort of, like, network of, like, people who are, like, in solidarity with him and his position as possible. Yeah. So that's that's kind of, like, one of the tasks that we're... A strong uh, collective base you'll have to mm-hmm. co- construct during this year. Yeah, so we're, we're hoping to, like, yeah, really kind of, like, put him in touch with 
absolutely anyone and everyone who is kind of yeah aligned with this kind of like direction and uh and values and yeah so that's 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 what we're doing (laughs) how do bernie sanders in only two words (laughs) well um we've been going for a little over an hour um if you maybe we could just close with uh, any any new projects you're working on with FAF, anything uh, immediate in this next year uh, uh, or in the next months. I mean, a year is a long time, right? <laughs> yeah, For us, we're yeah. very we're, we're we're very uncoordinated as well. Like we 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 kind of just like go where the current takes us. Um, but devastatingly effective when uh, indeed <laughs> yeah well, it's 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 the strength of uh informality you know we we don't have to we don't have to have a committee or a, a board meeting when we want to do something we can just do it um so yeah there's there's a there's a strength to the informality yeah. um yeah um i mean the things I, I can think of off the top of my head is um we're in the process of doing uh sort of piece of research with uh doug spencer um who friend of the show, friend the, of the show. Yeah, architecture neoliberalism book um yeah which we're really excited about it's uh looking into architectural uh workers in london in particular and um we don't really have any idea what form that will take when it's finished but it's it's something that's uh that is underway um and um yeah very excited to be working with doug um and there's also an article in uh the next issue of after party that's coming out um which uh depending on when this goes out might still be in its crowd funding phase so um either find the crowdfunder uh or if it's just out just buy a copy and there'll be a little a little uh article from from faf in there um you can put a link to that yeah um episode description the book club we're really keen to do the book club yeah (laughs) we well charlie has clearly been loving the literature but um so have other people and people are always like oh you should read this you should do that um so definitely at least a collective platform where people can chuck all their resources but i don't know i love the idea and i know charlie does too of actually having these sessions where we've all read some and then we could discuss it rant about it argue about it kind of help each other learn a little bit more Mm. Yeah, that's a really, really good shout because uh, I, I, I forgot about that. But that that's something that I'd be so excited if uh, if if we could like get to happen regularly and uh, be hosted well, which would be on us, which would be uh, <laughs> interesting. But yeah, I that that would be so good just to get break out of the typical architecture reading list a bit yeah. and um, and kind of see see what kind of trouble that can cause and like there's so many other people in other sectors and other industries who are doing incredible stuff and have written incredible things so to be able to engage with that and, and broaden out of our little bubble a little bit would be fantastic mm. nice do you want to share your socials places people can follow you faf personal accounts where you still share stuff on these subjects anything I'm still yeah, so the, the, 
Yeah, <laughs> the, the Instagram is uh, fa.front and the Twitter is architectsfront. Um, we'll share these links. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's 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 where you can uh, find all of our eclectic mix of memes, organizing, writing, uh, anything that you can fit into a, a, a three by three grid or however many characters Twitter list lets you uh, share. We we, we can have more than that. Cool. Thanks. Well, thanks so much, guys. Thank uh, you. Thanks that was for fun. Having us. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, I mean, at least if you're in the UK, dear listener, follow Future Architects Front. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. See we'll you be soon. following uh, with great interest. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for putting this on. We always end up having to record an, a, an outro separately. Yeah. We always forget to, to pitch the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, just, just call it post production and then it becomes, it, it goes from being a mistake to being a professional process. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. Exactly. I used to always uh, stumble over saying the Patreon address. I still do. And it was like a psychological uh, block to basically just grifting. Like, But now I'm, I'm getting smoother. I'm getting, I'm getting griftier. You're getting slightly sleazier every episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sells. <laughs> Please go to patreon.com slash streetsweeperpod. Perfect.